0: Friday, September 30th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church here in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for listening and gathering around God's Word with us this morning on the radio, online, or on a podcast. I'm just glad you're here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds, We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You hear me mention it at the top of every show, but listen, they support this program. But they also, and even more importantly, support so much mission work in the kingdom. Show them some support by learning more about what they do at lhfmissions.org. Well, a little bit out of order, but the first thing I'd like to do is welcome my guest to, guest the, show. to the show. That's the, That's Reverend, the Jason Reverend Jason Shockman, a you pastor, that, of, pastor St. of St. Paul's Lutheran Paul. Church in Konemanawok, Wisconsin. Wisconsin.
1: It is pastor great Shachman, to be with you. Yeah, welcome
0: yeah, to the yeah, show. We, we, the got, the show. we got, got a little bit of feedback going, going but
1: welcome. But welcome. Uh, I I'm not sure how to fix that. <laughs> I don't think I don't it's on your end. Okay.
0: Uh, Brother, Uh, brother, brother, every every Friday, Friday, uh, uh, I begin the show show. by pulling from the listener mailbag to share some comments and answer questions live on the air. And today is Friday, so I wanted to bring you on in case you wanted to make some comments about the uh, messages I get. The folks over in St. Louis are going to work on that echo, I think. So in the meantime, let's reach into the old email bag and see what we have. Our first letter is from Carl in Florissant, Missouri. Now, Carl's a big supporter of the show. He's written in a couple times, and he's, oh, I love hearing from him, and he's very encouraging. I wanted to share with you the email he sent recently because it includes a rhyme. He writes, God bespeaks us righteous through thy strong word, it's true, a delightfully wonderful program hosted by Pastor Phil Boo. Well, you can't beat that. Thank you, Carl, for your delightfully wonderful email. As I said, it's very encouraging. Becky in St. Louis wrote in with a question. You've mentioned that the Apostle Paul writes with lots of run-on sentences. Two thoughts came to my mind. When we talk, most of our sentences are run-on and it has to be cleaned up a little bit if what we are going if what we say is going to be published. She said the other idea is that the Chinese language uses many more commas than periods in writing. Chinese is a primitive language, and I don't know if you would call Greek a primitive language or not, but it made me wonder if all the grammar and punctuation that we use today is more sophisticated because of all the research and extended use. Well, thank you, Becky, for your question. Uh, The language, well, the Greek that we're talking about would be, I guess, kind of primitive in the sense that it was one of the earlier languages, but not primitive in its ability to communicate uh, deep ideas. Koine Greek is the language of the New Testament, and it actually didn't have any punctuation at all. In fact, it didn't even use spaces between the words. It didn't even use spaces between uh, the the sentences. And all the letters were capital letters, or, or more properly, majuscules. So this doesn't mean that uh, Greek didn't have grammar or sentence structures. It just used things like words and context to denote new sentences and topics. These transitional words are absent in some of Paul's writings, so it just gives us the sense of long, run-on sentences where one thought spills into other thoughts. So I hope this helps you. And uh, dear listeners, if you, got, if you had questions about this same thing, I uh, hope it helps you, too. If you have your own comment or questions, just write me at PastorBoo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Okay. Well, by the way, we're also live this morning, so call in with your comments or questions at 1-800-730-2727. Now, for our topic for today, uh, but, well, before I move on, do you, ha- you have anything to add, Pastor Shock Shockman, I
1: No, Uh, (laughs) that was well answered.
0: Excellent. Well, brother, you're chomping at the bit to get to our text this morning, I bet, because it's a great one. And it's 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. This is where Paul admonishes the Corinthians. He says, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? You know, he's just frustrated with their unchristian behavior. But once you get to dishonoring the Lord's Supper, yeah, that's especially Egregious, he he admonishes them. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. He condemns the fractions and the Christian unity. Lots for us to talk about today, and so, Pastor, I'm happy to have you here to help us feast upon this text. But before we get in, would you begin us off with some prayer?
1: Indeed, Heavenly Father, you have given us your Word, by which we come to know you and your Son rightly. Send your spirit that by the reading and teaching of your word, we would both be drawn to repentance and faith in you as you send to us in tangible means, the forgiveness of our sins and the confidence in the resurrection promise Christ has made in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Okay, so let's look at our text for today, but before we get in, and our text is again verses 17 through the rest of the chapter, verse 34, before we dig in, what uh, what's going on here? What what might we need to know to understand where Paul's been and where he's going? Paul, Paul
1: has been teaching uh, in chapter 11 about conduct in public worship, and and that continues into his... Uh, teaching of conduct regarding the Lord's supper, which, uh, was kind of the center of their, the church in Corinth's life together. Um, now we should probably just remind ourselves, right. That, uh, through chapters, uh, one through 10, and even into the first half of 11, uh, Paul had been pretty clear with the church in Corinth that, um, overlooking, uh, doesn't mean approving, right? Uh, and then where, where we may be over to or able to overlook one, one another's weaknesses, um, and not look down on one another because of our weaknesses, we are in no way, uh, to approve of that, which is sinful and simply quote, overlook it in love but to call a thing what it is. Uh, and in some pretty egregious cases earlier in the book, uh, Paul took the church to task over these things. Uh, and what, what we'll see here in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen 17 to 34, is Paul uh, both call them to account and remind them of the significance of what the Lord's Supper is, what it actually delivers, uh, and, and why they should then treat it as such a holy thing.
0: It is such a keystone of God's gifts to us to help us strengthen our faith. And yeah, what was going on here was even beyond the terrible neglect of the poor and other people, it was coming into this blessed meal that they didn't deserve, and they were treating it like, of a frat party or a supper club or something like that. And and that's, yeah, he's just, he's furious about it, really. But we're going to get, let's get into the text, and I'm only going to read part of it. But in the first verses, 17 through 22, he lays the stage for what he has heard is going on. And this gives us insight into, well, just how they were misusing the Lord's Supper. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, when you come together, It's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. He had previously commended them, right, in the earlier part of this chapter, because they had followed some of the gospel traditions. Uh, but then he had to move on to talk a little bit about the women and head coverings and some of the other behaviors within the worship service. And then he gets to this and he he just begins it very, very coldly. I cannot do not commend you because the Lord's Supper that you're practicing isn't the Lord's Supper at all. This is not how it's supposed to be. And this would have been directed at, at the wealthier Christians, right, brother, because they would have had the space to hold these these synagogal meetings or these Lord's Supper meetings.
1: Direct as to uh, kind of like James is when he calls the rich to account. Uh, Paul Paul is alluding to the fact that he's heard these things and in some ways he believes them. uh, And then he simply (laughs) calls them to task without actually labeling who he's talking to in the text. Uh, But it would have been clear uh, amongst the people in Corinth, there who he's addressing, and and yes, you're right, uh, Pastor Boo, that it would have been um, those who were able uh, to host these meals. Now we don't have um, necessarily the the liturgical order that they were following, uh, but it appears um, that much like Jesus and the disciples, they would gather for a meal and the end of that meal or the climax of that meal would then have been the celebration of the lord's supper and so it doesn't take much to figure out that those who uh, weren't necessarily day laborers or workers but owners they could begin their festivities quite earlier in the day Uh, and so they would gather and uh, many would you know, feast and eat their fill and have their wine. And by the time the day laborers got there, there, there may not have been uh, much left, if anything, let alone enough for them to share in the Lord's Supper together. And so some may have missed out on the meal altogether uh, because those who were treating it more like a supper club, as you said, uh, which here in Wisconsin, we're pretty familiar with supper clubs. Um, <laughs> they would have consumed all that was there for themselves uh, almost treating it as though it was their meal not the lord's supper
0: that speaks to our practice of it too when we when we administer as pastors or in broader a broader sense the church this is the lord's supper not st john's supper st paul's supper you know this is a And I don't mean. I'm sorry. I guess I don't mean that in terms of those apostles. I meant in terms of churches, right? So this isn't like the Lutheran Church's supper. This isn't you know our Savior Lutheran Church supper. This is the Lord's supper. So the pastor, the elders who assist him, the congregation who provides a space for this, you don't get to just decide what the uh, how this is going to be administered. We must do these things according to the way the Lord instituted them, and that is of course where Paul goes. Yeah, eventually, and we haven't gotten there yet, but I'll read those texts in a little bit. But he he appeals to what was delivered to him, and that's important because even at the beginning of this chapter, he commends them for following the traditions as were passed down. In this regard, they were not following those good practices, traditions, and institution, I should say, that, uh, that came from the Lord in regards to this supper. Now, I will say... Uh, he is a very good pastor, an experienced pastor, because he says, uh, I, for in the first place, I hear that there are divisions among you. I believe it in part, for there must be factions. That I believe it in part suggests that he's not there just to condemn everybody at the word of someone who's reporting it to him. He's able to say that I believe it in part because he knows what's going on in Corinth. He's perhaps heard several different witnesses of what's going on, and he's seen it for himself or heard it directly from them when they've written him and asked him questions. But he doesn't just say, okay, well, now I've heard from one or two people, Chloe's people, for instance, and now I'm going to condemn everybody. He acknowledges that there's more to the story than one side, and not everybody's always wrapped up in everything. But he also points out that there must be factions among you. Now, well, that's an odd statement, Pastor. For for one who is so um, so uh, uh, zealous for preaching unity in the Christian faith, here he says there must be divisions. Now, he's not saying that they have to be divided. He's just saying you can't believe separate things and both be correct. Um, isn't that right? Is that right. Yeah
1: right. Uh, I like to use the illustration of a pen, right? We can both agree that a pen is a pen, but if it writes in black and I call it a red pen, you're going to look at me like, I don't know what I'm talking about because yes, it's a pen, but I'm saying it's a red pen, even though it writes in black. Right. So, so there are going to be differences and divisions and, uh, in in part, Paul recognizes it because, as you said, he's a good pastor. He knows these people, uh, he knows their situation, he knows their culture, he knows the the very Roman Corinth influence that's there in that congregation, um, and and while he recognizes that there there must be factions, right? P- part of what he's also alluding to is um, <laughs> the fact that. not all who call on the Lord or not all who say to him, Lord, Lord, will be recognized. He he knows there are some, and he doesn't necessarily know who they are or that he's he's saying, "Uh, I know exactly which one of you are saved and which ones aren't, right? But he recognizes not all, not all, even all who call themselves Christian, not all, are.
0: Yeah, you know, that is an important point, because every we have lots of denominations out in the world, and there weren't denominations when Paul was around, but even though this is a text primarily directed at the practice of the Lord's Supper in the church in Corinth, just as the Bible is so well known for, it's it's applies to so many other aspects of our lives. So he talks about these divisions. And while there are divisions today within congregations, the greater divisions are between our denominations and even greater divisions between different full out religions. But even among those who are in different religions, there are a few like the latter day saints, the Church of Jesus Christ. They are not Christian, despite the fact that they identify as such. The same as Jehovah's Witnesses. If you happen to be listening and you're a part of one of these uh, church, so-called church bodies, you know I'm not here to to demean you. I just encourage you to seek out the Lord in the Scriptures where He's clear. Because if you have all of these divisions, as Paul's talking about, there has to be factions because not everybody who calls Lord Lord is going to be saved, as you pointed out, and and there has to be a truth. In our in our world today, people like to say your truth, or suggest that the truth is is nebulous, and you know everybody has their own truth based on their own experiences. And Paul wouldn't believe that at all. The Lord inspires him in this text to remind these Corinthians, and then across time and space, remind us that two people who disagree, they uh, one of them has to be right, or they both have to be wrong. But there isn't, there aren't two opposing opinions that can live side by side. And he's very keen on them not continuing in division by just accepting the fact that there are different types of truths, I suppose.
1: What's really significant in the midst of that conversation is where Paul is going to take us because the Lord's Supper in and of itself has a great weight of eternity and the big fancy theological terms, right? Soteriology and eschatology, uh, meaning salvation and, and eternity, right? That these are, this is the weight of this meal. It is salvation. It is eternal life that is delivered and promised by Christ according to his institution. And if we treat it like we own it or we treat it like it's, you know, uh, a casual thing, uh, we are then really putting at stake things that are eternal in nature, uh, and, and what it comes down to is the doctrine or the teaching, the institution of Christ. And are we following that, right? So as you mentioned denominations and, uh, even churches that say they're churches, but aren't really the church. Um, We we need to be willing and and honest to look at the doctrines of the churches and compare them and and not be willing to live with one foot in, in one and one foot in the other, but plant both feet firmly in the truth of the gospel.
0: Back to what's going on in Corinth, too you know, what do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? You mentioned earlier that these meals would have been going on in the wealthy people's homes and they were mistreating the poor. The people who had to work for a living and they weren't wealthy enough just to lay around and enjoy this love feast, you know, they had to get there sometimes late after they were worked. So in the house where this would have been held, There's a section for normal eating and the rich person, perhaps the house owners would be in there with their close group of friends having the best wine and the best food. And then the poorer folks or the working folks would come in. They would be given seats, perhaps in the atrium. You know, you sit there, you sit on the floor. uh, Here's what's left over or here's just a little bit, perhaps even inferior wine and that sort of thing. And, and Paul's just furious at this, you know, are you humiliating those who have nothing? God's church is about, you know, showing uh, the world's wisdom to be foolish and, and in showing that, you know, God picks those who are of low estate to do great things. And that is not the way that they were behaving. This speaks to us today, too, because the Lord's Supper is such a simple meal, bread and wine. In those days, they would have accompanied it with a more lavish meal. They would have had what they call a love feast, an agape meal. It would have had lots more food and drink, and then the Lord's Supper part would just be a small part of that. But it has changed today. We've jettisoned those other things because if—well, I'm sure there's a lot of history behind it, and perhaps you know about it—but the basics are that we've reduced it down to a sip of wine and a small host of bread because A, it doesn't have to be a, a large meal in order to receive the lavish gifts of God, but B, so that people aren't tempted to treat it like a frat party. People aren't tempted to treat it like just dinner at home. But this is a very special meal instituted by God for a very special purpose. Indeed. Indeed. Let's, um, let's keep on moving through the text. We have uh, a few minutes before the break, and I want to get out on the table verses 23 through 26. Now, he says here, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That last verse being Paul's words. So he recalls for us the institution of the Lord's Supper, words that are very familiar to faithful Lutherans and Roman Catholics and anybody else who participates in a a liturgical service that delivers the sacrament here. and uh, But he begins by saying he received from the Lord. Either he received it, uh, I guess, from the Lord directly or through tradition. I think it's debatable. Do you have an opinion about that?
1: I do. I'm I'm of the mind, uh, based on the Word of God, specifically in Galatians, that Paul— received this instruction from Christ himself. Uh, and Paul is likewise saying to the church in Corinth, I am passing on to you what I received from the Lord. Uh, notice he doesn't say uh, what I received uh, at, from Peter or through the apostles, uh, but from the Lord.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good perspective. You know, Galatians 1.12 says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's when he's defending that the, uh, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, but he relieved, received it directly from Jesus. So, yeah, the, the gospel that he's received, we know for a fact, as a revelation from Christ, is tied up into the Lord's Supper. And I think that because the gospel is so central to what God does through the Lord's Supper, that is it delivers forgiveness, it strengthens faith, it emboldens our life that sometimes people think, well, this should be a meal that's completely wide open to anybody who wants it because it's gospel we shouldn't we shouldn't apply the law in any way, and yet Paul here is getting ready to give them some directive, some law, some judgments according to how to observe this properly, which we continue today. Uh, Talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind, you know, the gospel aspects of the Lord's Supper and how sometimes in the name of the gospel, it gets misused.
1: I think the the easiest way to see that is uh, in our our American culture, we define the word love pretty broadly. Uh, Greek, uses four different words for the word love Uh, and the agape love that is even mentioned here in uh, first Corinthians is a self sacrificial love that willingly gives of itself for the good of another and and only because uh, it is love not 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 because it's earned Um, Not because it is, um, as we might say, attracted to love this other, but because it wills the best for the other. Um, And and, boy, what a different definition of love that is from what our culture has. Uh, and, And again, we need to be reminded that this supper is the Lord's supper. So, it is not open for us to interpret it the way we would like, or to uh, administer it according to our preferences, but the church is called, uh, as well as her pastors and the congregations within the church, uh, to administer it in the way the Lord instituted it, right? So he, he delivered this uh, to a select crowd. Right. He 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 delivered sermons to the masses, but he only celebrated the Lord's Supper with the people who were uh, closest to him that that had the 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 fellowship with him, right? Um, and so, uh, so we we likewise are are called to avoid uh, a very careless, uh, you could say open communion policy, um, but rather uh, we should, in loving rigor, um, will what is best for our neighbor. Uh, and, that, and that calls us to be, um, well, to not openly admit just anyone that feels like they need a snack, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, again... To, if we go back into First Corinthians, uh, into chapter ten, right, uh, Paul talked about not having a meal of fellowship uh, with with those in non-Christian worship services, and so by inference, uh, non-Christians should probably not participate. Not probably should not participate in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Um, and the realities involved in this meal, uh, they're, they're not created, they're not altered, they're not shaped by uh, a particular church's doctrine or the, or the particular faith of those who are eating and drinking it, right? Jesus isn't present in the meal because I believe he's there. He's present because he said so. Uh, and so the cup and the bread, which are a participation in the body and blood of Christ, Again, as we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, uh, in a similar manner, uh, if you're not on board with that, then, then maybe you shouldn't be partaking of it, right? Just like a, a sacrifice offered to a false God, um, where, uh, we could even go so far as to say demons are truly present, uh even if an individual Christian is there, uh, they probably should not be partaking of the meal that is offered in that place. I, I think that's a pretty clear two-way street, which again, I can harken back to uh, my example of a pen, right? Uh, we can both say, yep, that's a, that's a pen, but if we, if we don't agree on what it actually is, uh, and we're, we'll come to this in verse, with verse 26, uh, then we, we can't act like we're in unity and proclaiming the same thing if we don't.
0: Ponder these words, because yeah, you're talking some great, great stuff here. We're going to take a break, though, and listen to these messages. Dear listener, don't go anywhere, because in a few moments when we return, Pastor Shockman and I will continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 on the Lord's Supper. We'll see you on the other side.
1: These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward 316.
0: Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. And with me today is the Reverend Jason Shockman, pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Economewock, Wisconsin. Pastor, uh, before the break, we were getting into the Lord's Supper. And uh, yeah, I think there's some more verses that we need to get out here so that we can continue our conversation. Because Paul has appealed to the institution of the Lord's Supper by using Jesus's words. But yeah, he then begins to say, He starts to get into his directive that there is a problem if you partake in this sacrament unworthily. So we're going to read that, verses 27 through 34. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Now, about the other things, I will give directions when I come. That last verse is very frustrating because it's like, no, give directions now. We want to hear what he has to say. But going up to the text at hand, yeah, he's reminded them of the institution of the Lord's Supper, that it comes from Jesus Christ himself but he talks about the ability to take it in an unworthy manner. Take us through that brother. Certainly. And I think we may have fixed our uh,
1: audio echo. Uh, so drinks the cup in an unworthy manner. This word unworthy is the Greek word from which we get the word equal to. Right. Uh, so How can you take the Lord's Supper in a manner that is equal to the Lord? Well, none of us fit into that category. None of us are equal to Jesus. Uh, But rather, Paul is calling the people of Corinth and, and us to a repentant faith that acknowledges we are not holy. We are not perfect and we need, we need his strength to amend our sinful life. And so uh, in a worthy manner is just that one who recognizes their need for forgiveness, desires to uh, turn from their sin, and uh, rejoices in the gifts that Christ gives of himself in this bread and wine, which are his body and blood.
0: We've you know, we have this duty as pastors to help regulate the table, to help, you know, be that, that gatekeeper to help people examine themselves. But I've heard it said, well, the Bible says, let a person examine himself as if that means to the exclusion of a pastor's role as the stewards of the mysteries or the sacraments of God. So, yeah, talk about that a little bit. You know, have you ever run into anybody who's had that idea that the pastor should just say this is the Lord's table and you should have nothing to do with it and just leave it to people to examine themselves? We would call that functionally open and dangerous. But have you had that experience at all?
1: Yes, it's not <laughs> yes. fun.
0: <laughs> no, I mean it's, right? not. it's okay. I, I'll look at sort of a loaded question, right? Because every it pastor's is. experienced that. Tell me it, a indeed. little bit more about that.
1: So, large in part, um, I think that if if we we can take this text out of context uh, out of out of the teaching of all of First Corinthians and apply it in ways that are quite dangerous, uh, but when we leave it in place and and especially leave it in place uh, with other things that Paul has already said in First Corinthians, like you mentioned, First Corinthians four, where he talks about, uh, pastors being regarded as stewards of the mysteries of grace. Uh, in, in chapter 10, verse 16, where he speaks of the cup we bless, being a horizontal thing, is a, a koinonia. It is an intimate fellowship or participation in the actual blood of Christ. Um, and, and and the bread that we break is, an, is a koinonia, an actual participation in the body of Christ. And so, when we participate in the Lord's supper, it's not, and this is, I think maybe the more common one that I've run into, uh, rather than the, well, pastor, who are you to say whether or not I can have communion I'm supposed to examine myself, right? I hear this applied more in terms of, uh, well, if I'm supposed to examine myself, then it's just between me and Jesus. And so communion is really then between me and Jesus as if, uh, nothing else matters and nothing else is important when verse 26, which immediately precedes this, uh, does say as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, y'all proclaim the Lord's death until he come, right? You you individually as members of a body are proclaiming the faith. And, And this leads to some other wonderful thoughts, uh, regarding the Lord's supper. Uh, that, that I'm gonna, I'm going to push us into. Um, yeah. Let's the, do it. The, yeah the, so the first is um, when, when we, the church gather around word and sacrament, right, there are roles that we have been called to in this body of Christ and not everyone's an eye and not everyone's a foot and not everyone's a mouth. And so, this office of pastor that's been given to the church is for the proclamation of law and gospel, for the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins, and that such saving faith may be obtained. This office is given to the church, right? Uh, So, then what is the role of the laity when the church gathers around word and sacrament? It is to hear the word of the Lord, to hear the call to repentance, to hear and believe the promise of the forgiveness of sins, that absolution that is declared, and then uh, to respond to God's promises. And how do they respond to God's promises? Well, one could say that when we come to the Lord's Supper, there we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he come. And in some ways then, the communion rail is the pulpit of the laity. Hmm, and I love I like that, that image. Yeah. I love that image. Right. Uh, it, it, it's not a diminishing of the importance and the significance of the life of the Christian. It is, it is rather uh, calling them to value and to see as sacred and and as wonderfully holy this place that they has pre- been prepared for them in the lord's presence right and that doesn't make a it doesn't make the pastor better it doesn't make the pastor a greater christian it's just a different vocation as we together proclaim the lord's death until he comes
0: now, I love that illustration. I've never heard that before, and so just maybe a few more sentences on that. So the, the rail is the pulpit of the laity, and so what comes to my mind, and correct me if it's, you mean something different, is that because communion is not only a reception of God's gifts but a proclamation of what we believe and our unity with one another, as Paul's going to emphasize in his image of the body later on, that when they're up at this altar, they are proclaiming the, the, well, he says right here, you know, we're the Lord's death until he comes, but also we're proclaiming that we believe, teach, and confess uh, in unity with one another. People often forget the community part of communion.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, and again, that's that, that thing that I've run into more often than not, is this idea that uh, Really, communion is just about me and Jesus, Uh, but but it's not right. Uh, In fact, our whole uh, this is um, uh, I'm going to quote uh, one of our commentaries here. Uh, By their whole action in gathering around the sacrament, hearing the words of institution, eating and drinking the sacramental elements, the members of the Christian community proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for their sins. So this then is what makes the sacrament of the altar the pulpit of the laity. They are proclaiming together very publicly, mind you, uh, what they believe and teach and confess as it has been given to them. And so not only uh, does the Lord's Supper look back to his crucifixion, but it also, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, right, that it, it, it looks forward to the ultimate fulfillment of that promise in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And uh, here, here's one of my soapbox moments, right? Um, <laughs> we, uh, I think, to our detriment in the church, have become really comfortable with the idea that the goal of the Christian faith Is simply to live a good life to die and go be with Jesus which so sells short the promise of of the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come
0: we should have you on when we talk about the resurrection would you like to come Uh, on and talk about the resurrection
1: you mean when we get to 1st Corinthians chapter 15
0: That's a great place. Yeah. Well, I'd love to have you on the show for that.
1: Maybe we Uh, should air that episode, like, I don't know, October 12th.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. Join us for October 12th for uh, (laughs) Pastor Shockman on that text. But no, you know, you and I talked (laughs) off the air. Yeah, I, I share that concern. I share that concern because it gives into the, you know, Gnostic idea that all it is is just spirit and that's the only thing that's important. And it, you know, disabuses us, or sorry, we disabuse ourselves of this idea that, you know, the world is important and your body is important. Our relationships with one another are important. Eternally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Eternally. You know, you talked about remembering uh, the remembrance aspect of this meal, both backward and forward. Yeah. You know, in Exodus 12, when the Passover was instituted, you know, he says, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it a feast. And then he says, Do this in remembrance of me, do as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, because of my background in a church body that did not believe that God keeps his promises through the sacrament, did not believe Jesus' words that this is his body and this is his blood, they kept the Lord's supper as a mere remembrance meal. But I would argue that they kept it more than that as just a trying to check off the box, right? It's an ordinance. You have to do it. We'll do it once a year. In fact, when I first visited a Lutheran church, and it was an LCMS church in Clyde, North Carolina, I actually had that pastor on as a guest. Anyway, when I first visited there, they who had communion every Sunday, I didn't know that. I showed up. I visited wasn't permitted to take communion but I called my dad after the service and I said you'll never believe it I showed up on the day they took communion and yeah. then next <laughs> next week I'm like oh I guess they're doing it again and then, oh they 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 do this a lot and, every lord's you know, day yeah every <laughs> lord's day but I I you know in that church body began to learn more about this you know what it is the lord's supper gives to you and so to make it just something that we're checking off the box, something we're basically doing to serve, to serve God or to please God, sucks the grace out of it. It diminishes the reality of what it is. But yeah. I bring that up because the argument from folks who lean in that direction is the words do this in remembrance of me means it's just a memory meal. We're just remembering what Jesus did, but that yeah. sells it short too. It's so Oh deepened. boy. Um,
1: so uh, let's, let's go. Way back to to get into this one, right? Let's go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter five, uh, and 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 look at at what is spoken here in verses two through four. Right. So Deuteronomy five two through four, uh, Moses here has summoned all of Israel together, and he says to them, "The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make the covenant, but with us." who are all of us here today alive. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain on the, in and out of the midst of the fire. Uh, while I stood between the Lord and you the, <laughs> he, he, but he did make a promise to their forefathers, to Abraham. He, he did make a promise to their forefather, to Adam. He, he did make these promises, right? And, and, and for them, uh, this this Passover meal, which they did to remember the Lord's deliverance, it, it wasn't um, in memory of, right? It wasn't to remind themselves. It was to participate in that deliverance, right? They were, they were participating in the deliverance uh, that, that God had given them. So, uh, it's not just something from the past. It is, it is a present matter. It, it is, uh, it, it is what is to be expected in the future acts of God as he remembers as well. So uh, the, the other thing to take note of here is th- throughout the, the old Testament, when it talks about God remembering, uh, God never remembers without acting, right? He remembers his promise and so he delivers. Uh, and, and, and you could almost uh, say when God remembers, you could almost there just insert, uh, and so he acted to save, right? Uh, and so for us, this in remembrance of me is, is pretty weighty right? It's not just to remember, uh, but, um, it is because of the, the very powerful word of Christ himself, right? Which, which makes this bread body and this blood wine, uh, it, it is an effective deliverance for you, the recipient. Uh, so, so that, uh, with in and under, This meal, right the very moment of Golgotha, where Christ sheds his blood and gives his body on the cross, is is an event in the here and now that you are participating in, that you are receiving the fruit of. And this is another one of those images that I think plays so well to help us remember this or to keep track of this is when we receive the bread and wine of communion we are actually receiving the fruit of the tree of life yeah the fruit right, of the cross right.
0: of the of the new tree you yeah. know the all analogies fall apart eventually but, somewhere you know, what, <laughs> right but what comes to my mind if i can present one is the idea. So I grew up down south, and they love the Civil War, right? We would color soldiers, like Civil War soldiers, in elementary school. They only gave us gray crayons, but still. I was going to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you didn't but have very no, many um, navy crayons going on there.
0: No, no, no. In fact, when my um, when my son was born in St. Louis and baptized in St. Louis, uh, some of my family, mostly joking, I believe. Uh, wanted to make sure that he was uh, baptized in Confederate-held territory in St. Louis so that he wouldn't have to be rebaptized down south in the creek or something.
1: Oh, goodness, not that that's we funny.
0: Baptized. Well, no. you know, my family's mostly not Lutherans. But anyway, actually, none of them are except for my dad. But anyway, the point is this. You think of, well, I'm I'm remembering the battle of whatever. There's a little difference between that and say, go involving yourself in a reenactment. And so, if you're in a reenactment, it's bringing to life what happened. Now, this analogy for the Lord's Supper falls apart pretty quickly, but at the beginning, it kind of makes sense. You know, we are not just going through the motions, but we are being involved in a very intimate way with, with what God is delivering to his disciples at that Last Supper. We, we hear the words of institution from the pastor, we receive the true body and blood of Jesus through these simple elements now it falls apart because the reenactment of the say a civil war battle despite which side you're reenacting uh, eventually is not real you know you know you go home but in the lord's supper it has this added benefit of delivering to us in ways that we don't understand the as you said the actual fruits of the tree the actual fruits of the cross there is christ's body that died on the cross you know there is uh, Christ's blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And these things you receive, whether you believe in them or not, which is very important that to receive it worthily, you must discern the body, as Paul says. Whoever yeah. eats and drinks without discerning the body. I've always took that to be a double entendre, right? Discerning the body, that is recognizing both that and. true body and blood of Jesus are there, but also discerning the body that Paul will talk about in a few chapters, the body of Christ gathered in the people,
1: which he already mentioned again in ten sixteen. Right? There's this horizontal element to the Lord's Supper, uh, and and you know just to come back to your Civil War analogy, I can get on board with this. Uh, here's here's my here's my uh, Great Lakes kid uh, add to that analogy, uh, reenacting the battle. Just because you imagine it could end differently doesn't mean it happens
0: oh right i like it
1: and so right back to this idea of it being a moment. i can neither meal. confirm
0: nor deny how the meal sometimes <laughs> <end>. <laughs> i actually so, never got so, into that but there were people i knew that did
1: oh yeah oh yeah so you know just because i it, it rather the meal doesn't work because i imagine it because i remember Right? The meal works and it delivers what it, what it promises because Christ instituted it. Right? Because, because of what happened in history when Christ died on the cross, because of his word and promise, this is what I receive. I can't imagine something different and expect that that's going to be the reality. right? I don't get to go to a, a, a reenactment of a Civil War battle and decide, well, I, I, I think those northerners should, should lose this time.
0: Right. Well, Although and, you I know,
1: know a few people who do.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I think that the reality when we come to the Lord's supper is that, you know, it delivers to us a very real thing. It forgives us our sins and it's, it's actually God coming to you. People talk about experiential worship, right? Experiential worship, what, what What do you want? You want some you know, guitars and some drums? Okay, but here's the deal. There is no worship more experiential than receiving on your tongue the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. And if you don't fully understand that, right, if you don't fully grasp that, then I would say, you know, get into your Bible, talk with your pastor. If you have questions about that, if you have even a little bit of doubt about what the lord's supper is and what it does then go to your pastor and and have that doubt addressed because not that i'm afraid that you're going to take it unworthily but i'm afraid that you won't really appreciate the amazing things that god does for you through this blessed sacrament so and brother ice i'd love to you give you the something- last word but Go ahead. I, we oh, got one minute. Okay, so real quick.
1: Uh, communion is the only time in your entire life where God invades your world through all five senses at the same time. There's nothing more experiential
0: than that. Absolutely. I love it. This is one of those topics that we could talk about forever because it's so important to our faith light and so important to the church. But for now, I'm just going to have to thank you. My guest, the Reverend Jason Schuckman, pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Economawak, Wisconsin. Pastor, thank you for being on the show. And thank you, too, for listening to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in tomorrow as we go into Chapter 13, the love chapter. Actually, Monday. Pardon me, Monday. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word. <laughs>